Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Cleansing Protection Magic, Damien Keller, binaural production engineer, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, Author of Is Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything there that you need. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Douglas Kenyon, and he has a book out called Ghosts of Atlantis, Echoes of Lost Civilizations, Influence Our Modern World. Thank you for coming on today, Douglas. You're welcome. So what got you interested into in the topic of Atlantis? Well, the thing is, Atlantis has been kind of a career of mine because I spent the last 25 years publishing a magazine, Atlantis Rising, which you may or may not be aware of. But at any rate, uh, back in the 80s, uh, I started getting interested in the idea that uh, uh, the origins of civilization had not been properly accounted for in our standard history and that... Uh, there were huge missing pieces. <laughs> That's for sure. That, uh, uh, and there had been essentially a virtual uh, dark age, if you will, that had uh, preceded uh, what was ordinarily considered to be the dawn of civilization. And that uh, the whatever it is that we're experiencing now had a prologue that uh, we lost touch with. And anyway, the idea grew from there. I ended up doing a screenplay that was, uh, we were trying to get produced in a movie, which was kind of trying to capture in an action suspense format, some of the, uh, the story value that we were pursuing. And uh, then that led to the magazine, which we started in, in uh, 94. And so then for 25 years, we produced a bi-monthly magazine and uh, then uh, that we had to discontinue for business reasons. So I ended up, uh, uh, doing, uh, uh, a book putting, uh, trying to, uh, to encapsulate, uh, between, uh, the covers of one book, uh, as much as I could about the entire story, because in my view, uh, it's a much bigger and much more important story than most people realize. And people tend to look at it as a, as a kind of uh, perhaps entertainment or a cartoon idea. And uh, they don't get the fact that it's significant uh, in terms of our uh, collective consciousness, our sense of who we are and uh, how we got here. And that's, uh, that's what I wanted to get across. But that, that's a big subject. Excuse hmm. me here this so, so some of the first stories of Atlantis that I've become familiar with is obviously the one from Plato, and then some of the information that was channeled by Edgar Cayce. Um, are those the two sources that, that began you, uh, your journey into this subject? Well, actually, I don't know. Hold on. Somebody, this looks like an important call. I'm going to have to. Can I, can I pick this up in a second? Um, yeah. Let me uh, pause. I apologize. Recording. 
I, I've got to. This is something. All right. So, well, um, you you ask about the influence of Casey and uh, Plato, and whether they're the centerpiece for uh, for Atlantean research. And uh, frankly, I I was have been interested in in both of those sources, and I think they both are 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 fundamental to the subject. But um, actually, uh, my own interest goes goes in kind of a different direction because I got interested in the idea of catastrophism or the idea that uh, that you couldn't explain uh, Earth's history uh, in terms of it, it, the standard narrative of gradualism that you get from uh, from mainstream uh, uh, natural history and that uh, I found it much more plausible that uh, the history of the human race had been interrupted by um, catastrophic events and that if you really want to understand uh, how we got here you have to realize that it wasn't it, we didn't proceed in one long natural ascent from uh, from ancient primitive us to advanced uh, uh, us as we stand today and so uh, the work of Emanuel Velikovsky was uh, very influential to me there. And Emanuel Velikovsky, particularly the idea of um, amnesia and that uh, uh, the human race is, you know, is, uh, is experiencing a total forgetfulness of its past, has therefore lost touch with its own identity. And trying to get back in touch with that is really, I think, the most important challenge we face. Interesting. Um, does this any um, of the does? Well, I was tripping over my words. But what I'm trying to get to is there's different legends and different traditions of different of several epochs that have happened prior to the current one that show up in different mythologies, such as the Hopi Indians, the Mayans. And even the Vedas. Sure. Do, do you um, you research any of those and tie those into oh, of the, into Atlantis? Absolutely, and we talk about a lot of that in the book, and and that's part of the point is that there's this common narrative that you find in many ancient sources. You find it in the Bible, uh, mm -hmm. the story of Noah, or you find it in um, as you mentioned. Uh, various indigenous legends like uh, uh, among the Hopi and, and other places where there's a story of, uh, of uh, humanity rising to a certain level and then having a very disastrous, uh, uh, usually a flood, uh, a flood uh, that it brings everything to a conclusion. The flood is an, is an, is a way of talking about uh catastrophe and cataclysm and and a sudden interruption of the status quo and everything being different thereafter uh you know in the pacific northwest uh uh randall carlson is a who's really knowledgeable on all of this and a lot of other uh uh there there is 
the geological story of an immense, overwhelming natural catastrophe is inescapable. It's a, and of course, according in the mainstream view of things, that would all be before uh, before civilization. But the fact is, I think it ended civilization at that time and left it com completely destroyed it. And, uh, and it took us thousands of years afterwards to kind of regather the pieces and try mm -hmm. to, to, re to rebuild things. And that's why uh, the story of our origins is the story that we should be trying to reconstruct if we ever want to have some sense of who we are. Absolutely. My co-host, Jared Murphy, um, he has a theory about Atlantis where um, about the civilization getting too advanced, wiping itself out. And as a precaution, he believes that they somehow put themselves, the human race, into sleep mode, basically. So we only have use of like maybe it was 15 or 20 percent of our dna in brains and uh, and it's going to stay that way until we are actually able to handle technology again well that's interesting uh, I, I i i can't say i can't certainly can't rule that out uh, and i don't have any uh i can accept the idea that uh, that uh the Rebirth uh, and and growth of civilization uh, was something that perhaps had to be uh, controlled or you know regulated in some way, and therefore uh, I will say you know along those lines though I think uh, a lot of the uh, the ancient lore we get for particularly in the Bible for example talks about. Uh, people living to extremely long periods of time in hundreds, many, many hundreds of years. And so that's one of the one of the stories you get from the book of Genesis. And I think what that may be trying to tell us is that uh, the ancients long before our time had um, uh, had powers and uh, you might say a vitality, uh, a connection with their source, which has been virtually lost. And therefore, uh, we can't, um, even in the Bible, you get a story of, uh, like, the story of people living to these extreme ages uh, was before the flood. And you don't get that again after the flood. It, the, you're talking a much more uh, about lifetime about longevity roughly comparable to what we have now and so the idea that uh, something changed something dramatically changed in terms of what we were capable of and uh, and that again is part of the part of the story that uh, we need to be unraveling do, do you think that remnants of i mean after the destruction of atlantis um do you believe that some of them were able to escape and go to places like Egypt and possibly oh, yeah, even absolutely. here in North America, South America? Absolutely. I think if you really want to, uh, that's that's another thread or another 
Uh, and we talk about uh, this, that in the book and the different and the implications of it. I think you mentioned Egypt. Mm -hmm. uh, according to uh, several esoteric schools, uh, what happened was that after Atlantis went down or uh, as it was uh, as it's as it's um, destruction was approaching that certain individuals were chosen to basically carry the uh, torch uh, if you will for the order that was and to reestablish a, a new uh, civilization a new basis for it in an, another place and i think frankly that's a great way to look at the entire uh history of egypt is that uh, there was uh, that behind that was a an organized effort extending over many thousands of years to basically um, preserve the things that had been lost you you know the you know about uh, gobekli tepe right in yes. turkey mm -hmm. and i think that uh i mean i've i've heard it argued uh, graham hancock is one who does that uh, what you have there is uh, a, a group of uh, probably maybe more primitive people who were basically gathered together and organized by some kind of a more advanced core and basically uh, instructed in, in uh, some of the basics of uh, agriculture and other things and all of this in an effort to set the stage or to begin the process of rebuilding uh, the world that had been destroyed. And um, uh, so I think that, I, I think there, there are many places where you see evidence that there was this organized concerted effort over a, over a period of time to, uh, to do something like that. And one of the reasons why people don't really wrap their minds around this sort of thing is it's just too it's too big of an idea uh and uh john michelle who's one of my favorite uh, uh scholars on the subject uh was fond of saying that uh, we live in the ruins of a civilization so vast that up till now it's been invisible and it's only because we or have climbed a little bit further up the mountain that we're able now to see uh, the broader horizons that have been invisible to us up till now. So now we can start to get the big picture and, uh, and the big picture, not only in terms of space, but in time. And we can kind of begin to get a glimmer of what it was uh, the ancients uh, were up to that we have totally forgotten. And of course, if you, that's one of the big reasons why uh, you have so much insanity in the world today is that people have lost touch with that fundamental reality of their own identity. Yes. Could you give me kind of a, draw me a picture of what you think Atlantis was like and what happened? Well, it's, I, I can't, I'm one of those who is open to many possibilities. So I don't really, uh, I, I wouldn't pretend to be able to, to nail it down. Oh, uh, but not. Plato, Plato certainly uh, was very specific in what he, uh, in, in the world that he described. 
and uh, and uh, so was Casey. And uh, uh, I think that I don't see any reason why they weren't both right. And uh, I think that uh, uh, the the important thing is that um, I guess you might say where there's smoke, there's fire, and where behind behind the curtain were were forces that were causing effects that we from our perspective we only see as a kind of um, as kind of a shadow play uh, but uh, understanding what it was that was creating that shadow play is uh, requires a, a great leap in our awareness which is uh, uh, we think we're ready for, but <laughs> I think it's, it, it, we have a ways to go yet before we can really kind of align ourselves with the reality that, uh, that, uh, has been lost. Right. Do you, my, one of my theories is because, you know, play, you mentioned that Plato gave very specific information about Atlantis and there are structures that we cannot explain that resemble what he described things like the eye of Africa um, here in the United States we have poverty point um, around the world we have these stone hinges in circular formations um, mounds that are in circular and spiral um formations do you think that these some of these structures were created from memory of what atlantis was looked like and it was just put there almost like as a reminder well i think that uh the connection between all of these it makes sense to me as you're talking um archetypes or you're talking a uh, patterns and designs, which are which are uh, are part of what's been forgotten, and that uh, as you look back through history or through prehistory, you basically can see constantly recurring themes and patterns and and designs and uh, proportions and uh, and the uh, traces of a great order and the order included many things not only circular structures like you're talking about but uh, but uh, uh, awareness of uh, astronomical uh, knowledge um, uh, or some would say astrological knowledge but the point is that it's knowledge of the stars and knowledge of the way they're they're related and there's so you get this attempt to recreate uh those connections on earth and there were many projects that were basically uh trying to accomplish that uh, so i think that uh all of these are signs of the presence of, of what in Jungian psychology are referred to as as archetypes or the great um, um, models or patterns uh, 
Joseph Campbell uh, wrote about uh, the hero with a thousand faces, but he's describing uh, patterns of behavior that are re replicated over and over again in many cultures in many parts of the world. And uh, those things which uh, modern materialist thinking doesn't really uh, uh, have room for because in 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 that view of things everything is just can be brought down to simple cause and effect and there's no room for understanding larger and more profound relationships between things which is what we're which is what we're talking about right. interesting you know that talking about circles uh the calendar or the zodiac is a uh uh, is a design or pattern that is guiding just about is a, a deep fundamental process which is which is evident in the stars and evident uh, celestially and it's basically guiding the rise and fall of civilizations over centuries and millennia and uh and you really need to have a large picture to be able to comprehend all of that and then to understand, you know, where we are in the in that uh, unfolding process. Hmm. Do you think that Atlantis sunk or do you think there was a war and was there any relation with Lumeria? Well, I think that there are probably many things that happened, but I think that one thing that uh, there's plenty of evidence for is that there was some kind of a, of a, actually there are different uh, theories. And uh, one of the, one of the people who's a good, a good friend of ours and wrote a lot for Atlantis rising was Robert shock, who a geologist who basically believes that, uh, uh, that the catastrophe that ended Atlantis was actually a solar, uh, outburst uh, of solar energy impacting Earth from that. However, I think the evidence in my view, and I, I would uh, say this, uh, and I have said this to him, but it, it, I believe that the evidence is that uh, we were smacked by some kind of a bolide from space. And there is new evidence to support that idea. Uh, there's certainly uh, apparently below the Greenland ice cap evidence of a huge crater that was left. And we're talking in recent geologic history. We're not talking millions of years ago. We're talking about 12,000 years ago. By the way, that date of about 12,500 years ago is one of the main reasons why we really sh should be believing Plato, because Plato knew that date. And even though, uh, uh, even though there was nothing in in uh, natural history at the time Plato that indicated that that there had been an ice age and that this there had been an interruption of that uh, at the time of 12,500 years uh, before now or, or 9,500 before or about 9,000 before Plato uh, that was that's evidence of the validity of what he was saying and some people write it off to just coincidence. I don't think it's coincidence. I think that he knew 
he knew about the actual events and that's why he was telling the story that he was telling right um so why did we forget well it, it, because there are serious scars on our psyche when you go through such a traumatic uh, traumatic event uh you know uh there is um there is a healing that's required uh the the psyche is is deeply scarred uh and wounded and it frankly that's the amnesia itself is a a, um, a you might call it scar tissue that was built up over the um uh to uh, basically shield ourselves from the direct awareness of what it was that we went through because it was really terrible and of course that was what uh Velikovsky realized that of course Velikovsky I think his dating was uh, was off and he he tried to he thought it was kind of a bronze age event and he saw it as about having occurred the the end of Atlantis's uh, uh or the certainly that was something that he did associate with the flood of Noah in the Bible but we're talking at a much later date i think to really get a handle on it you have to realize it happened quite a bit sooner uh but uh, i i think uh, 12,500 years ago is uh is that's the time we're talking about and uh we we uh basically were hurled back into the stone age stone age and we've been working our way out ever since it's not something you do overnight how old do you think the human race actually is do you think it that science is correct with the 300,000 year mark or i do not think science is correct but that's another subject and i think that uh uh i think there's plenty of evidence indicating that uh civilization and all that preceded it goes back much much further uh than uh uh than the mainstream is prepared to think uh i think one of the reasons why uh india is so uh it's just people don't face up to what it is that you find in indian uh text and lore and i mean the country of india it yeah. is because of uh it it points it points back toward a remote an antiquity much more remote than the mainstream can tolerate mm-hmm. uh i think that uh you know the materialist scientific establishment of our time is very much influenced by uh people like rj bronowski who wrote uh, uh the ascent of man and which he tells us this fairy tale about how man began in this very primitive uh state uh and then slowly began with the ultimately the invention of the wheel and the discovery of fire and all of this slowly worked his way out of that and then uh has been basically climbing inexorably toward the top ever since and now arrives at this uh this glorious pinnacle in which we find ourselves and uh that's basically the real story uh, uh of the human race and of course 
it's <laughs> it's far more complicated than that, and far, far, far older than. Uh, and it wasn't something that went in one unbroken line from uh, the, our primitive ancestors to our sophisticated selves. It was an, an up and down process. It rose to heights and fell to great depths and did so many times. Right. In fact, one of the things that the, the priests of size, who, who, when they spoke to Plato, uh, pointed out was that, that that civilization on Earth had risen and fallen many times and that uh, had been this uh, civilization been destroyed by fire and by water over and over again. Yeah, it's it's in a lot of the older legends. Absolutely, that that you know. Um, do, so, do you think that the human race is self-destructive, and that's one of the problems that keeps causing this to go over and over again? Or are you leaning more towards like the natural events, like you mentioned earlier, like you know something from space hitting Greenland and wiping everything out? Or is there like well, just a, think- a combination of different types of things causing? all types of turmoil that we have to just kind of keep get falling down and getting back up kind of situation. Well, in my view, they're both, uh, they're both different aspects of the same thing. Uh, and that, uh, when you, when you, um, uh, bring, when you have a catastrophic destruction of civilization and, uh, we, the kinds of, uh, aftermath, that you might have for that could lead to all kinds of effects. And that uh, at a later date, after you, before you really know what happened, you could very easily uh, struggle to see what the sequence was and how they, how they came together. I think in terms of like uh, the human race and uh, civilization on earth, kind of like a haunted house. And, uh, and by that, I mean, you're talking about, uh, a place that has been uh, had many different events that have um, have occurred that have left behind uh, 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 ghosts or or basically uh, remembrance remembrances uh, of a of a prior. Uh, time of enlightenment, a, prior, a time of, uh, you might say, a time of peace and harmony that has been broken down. And, and, then, and so we find ourselves in a time of chaos and a time of, uh, of very, where very destructive energies run wild. I think that's what we're seeing in the world today. And to be able to re- return to a time of tranquility and a time of peace and harmony, a golden age, if you will, uh, that would be, that's kind of the, the deep desire we have. But of course, uh, we're not in any uh, kind of agreement on, on what that, uh, on what that actually might be like. Hmm. Wow. So, um, what are some of these Ghost of Atlantis. Like, what are some of the things that that are left? Well, I, I in the in the in the book we talk about uh, talk about several things. But I, one thing is there's a, we got a chapter in there talking about some of the destructive history 
of the last uh, 10 or 15 years. And I was thinking about uh, in the book, we talk about uh, what happened with, uh, with uh, uh, in the Middle East. Uh, we mentioned, for example, the, the destruction of Palmyra by uh, the, uh, by ISIS uh, and which is a good example of the kind of thing we're talking about where you have uh, a group in power bent on the destruction of everything that they disagree with and uh, wanting to uh, wipe out uh, any vestige of, uh, of any contrary point of view. And uh, I think that that's, frankly, I think that's what political politically correct thinking is. It's an effort to basically blot out uh, those things which are uh, not welcome in, uh, in, uh, in the present society and therefore uh, become uh, 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 taboo and, uh, and are rejected. Wow. So, and I, there, there are many examples of that kind of thing. Uh, and I've talked about, for example, when the Romans uh, 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 defeated Carthage, how they, uh, it's believed that they, after they had wiped out their enemies, uh, the Romans sowed the ground with salt to basically try to prevent uh, anything from growing in that area. Again, I mean, it was the kind of... Uh, uh, the kind of overreaction that you see over and uh, over and over again. And I think that, of course, uh, a lot of the evil that we have seen, like uh, in World War II with the Nazis and so forth, was, was basically uh, something that needed to be totally, totally wiped out because any, any possible, any risk that something like that could be restarted is uh is unacceptable right wow so how about archaeological archaeologically um what are some of the things that that you think prove that that atlantis was a real place and survived it's well there are there there are several uh uh one of the one of the best examples that is not paid much attention to but should be is like off the coast of india uh, in the um, uh, the Gulf of Cambay, there along the west coast of India, which I think is the, like the where the what was at one time the Indus River, which was mentioned in the uh, or the Saraswati River uh, was, which was mentioned in the Mahabharata, uh, which uh, where there was a culture called the Indus civilization. But it and off what is now beneath the waters off the coast is uh, evidence of a of um, of a world that is no longer there. Except in there are ruins. They're very hard to get at because of uh, uh, very uh, swift currents and uh, and and dark waters. Uh, but there is but there's a lot that's been revealed by side scan sonar. Another place I believe is Gunung Padang in Indonesia, which is, uh, you've got a, a pyramid that is probably uh, 
at least 30,000 years old. Uh, you've got, uh, uh, frankly, I think uh, a lot of places are much older than, than people realize. Their evidence goes back much further. And I think that you see a lot of that in the megalithic constructions of, say, in Peru, where uh, those they're given, most of these things are credited to uh, the Incas, but I think the Incas simply showed up and took over structures that were already present and already existed and were of a much higher order than the Incas were ever able to achieve. And, uh, and the same is true in, say, um, Easter Island. Mm -hmm. And uh, though they try to say that the origins of Easter Island are only a few hundred years ago, uh, but they, that is not anything evident uh, that the, the, those um, uh, Moai uh, giant heads on Easter Island uh, are buried, you know, many, many feet deep in, in soil that took thousands of years to build up to its present level. And that's been, was clearly evident. Uh, uh, Thor Heyerdahl excavated those and proved that. And there are many other examples. I think in the, um, in, uh, the Caribbean, uh, I think that there's plenty of evidence of something that pre-existed the, uh, the standard dates that were given. Is that uh, the uh, Bimini Road? Well, I think the Bimini Road is only one example of, uh, and, and not necessarily the best example of, uh, of a kind of, uh, of a civilization that uh, once occupied the area. Uh, I think there's, there's uh, Greg Little and his wife, uh, uh, Laura, uh, both, basically he's an archeologist, works with uh, the Casey organization uh, and did a lot of, uh, did a lot of, uh, of research in the area, a lot of uh, underwater ex uh, 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 exploration that has uh, produced, I think, uh, a, a lot of evidence that really cannot be explained by uh, the standard uh, uh, the standard view, but and there are, there are many other examples there, and uh, and there are evidence. Uh, for example, I think that if you look at the ancient scriptures of India, uh, the Vedic literature, uh, you're looking at artifacts of a civilization going back probably 17,000 years before, before uh, Christ uh, or, or more. And, I, and it, is, it can be supported by intricate astronomical information where the passage and the movements of the stars was, was, was discussed and charted and, and laid out in detail. And those, and it can be verified. And I mean, we're talking about uh, combinations of, uh, of uh, say, lunar phenomena uh, to, to basically boil down something to a particular date and then against a backdrop of, uh, of uh, celestial uh, uh, developments that uh, give a clear record 
a very, very ancient uh, uh, activity in the, at the war that is described in the Mahabharata is uh, uh, probably occurred around, I think there's evidence that probably occurred around 7,000 BC. And, uh, and of course, that the Vedic literature has descriptions of what clearly sound like technology and highly advanced uh, uh, human activity on many different fronts. And so I think that that's what, if people were serious on the subject, they would have to put, take all this into account and look at, look at it in, a, in an unattached uh, way rather than trying to argue uh, against or for some particular preconception they have of history. Right. I've had um, Michael Cremo on my show, and he talks a lot about that also. Oh, sure. He wrote for us many articles for us. He was in our, he, he, we had a, an article by him in every issue for most of the 25 years we were in the, we were operating, certainly the last 20 years. He was in there every issue. Yeah, he's brilliant. Um, well, Michael Cremo, of course, is very much, uh, there, there are different schools of thought among the, the Indian, uh, he, he was, he's a follower of, uh, 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 Prabhupada. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, who, who really, really talks in terms of really great, vast times, time cycles. And, uh, uh, I mean, you're talking very similar to what you get from, uh, uh, natural history in the Dar among the Darwinian uh, followers in our own, and as if there's some interesting stories about how that uh, ironies that developed because of that. But I don't think, uh, in terms of human history, you need to go to that at length. Though I'm certainly not taking anything away from what uh, what Michael's saying. I think uh, there uh, the uh, uh, Sri Yukteswar, who was the uh, guru of uh, uh, Paramahansa Yogananda uh, talked about uh, in his uh, uh, book, The Holy Science, talks about cycles that are not quite as long as those I uh, uh, described by Prabhupada, but nevertheless are very long in Western terms. And so, but he, he, he could explain what is normally referred to as the precession of the equinoxes. This is, uh, I don't know if you, you know that term? No. Well, it, the idea is that uh, there's, we have these astrological ages, like right now we're just in the dawn of the age of Aquarius, right. which is a 2,000 year cycle, mm -hmm. 2,100 years, 2,100 and some odd years. And, um, and then we're just ending the 2,000 year period of the age of Pisces, which was the Christian uh since was initiated by uh, Jesus and the Christians. And before that, you have the, uh, the age of Aries. And, uh, but the idea is that every, that the point of the sun at sunrise in, in, uh, in, uh, in April is basically uh, moving seems it, it appears to be moving backwards through the zodiac and this is something caused by a it's argued a, a wobble in the earth's axis but anyway 
this great cycle of all 12 signs of the zodiac going around is about 26,000 years. Oh, yeah. Yep. Heard that one. And that's called, that's referred to as the, uh, the great year. And it's uh, indicated by the precession of the equinoxes, which is the movement that I'm talking about. And uh, so, uh, and people like uh, the, uh, uh, the name escapes me, but uh, the, the great uh, writer from uh, uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology wrote uh, Hamlet's Mill, uh, uh, discussed that uh, the, it, it, there is this uh, uh, pattern, an ancient pattern that describes the rise and fall of, of humanity as it passes through these cycles, which are all associated with the uh, with the uh, the great cycle of the of the zodiac, there the great uh, precession of the equinoxes. And, and where, where would that bring us to? What point will we? What does that bring us to now? Well, we're we're at the we're at the cusp or uh, between the age of Pisces and the age of Aquarius. Right. Does that like, mean? The, we're going to be waking up, or are we in a state of collapse? Oh, well, I think that uh, I, I don't. I think it could be either one, and uh, it's it's just that moving into the eight. I, I, and I'm not one of those who's trying to interpret these. Uh, I mean, you're thinking of the song, you know, the, the dawning of the age of Aquarius, and love will steer the stars, and all of that. And I do believe that. What you're what you're seeing is a, is a new age of freedom, uh, potentially, of the and our awakening to uh, much greater possibilities and being able to uh, uh, to align ourselves. I mean, this is there as potential, but I think that we have to actually uh, follow through from our end if we're going to experience that potential. Nothing is guaranteed uh, in terms of, uh, of of the benefits of the process, but this is again is one of the reasons why I think you really have to look at the big picture if you want to and look at uh, the, the the cycles of humanity and the cycles of the human race in the, in the really large sense. If you really want to get a sense of where we're headed, do you think there's any way for us to escape these cycles? Uh, like to prepare ourselves or maybe go off planet some way to to evolve without these interruptions it would be nice wouldn't it <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that would but, be kind of the point yeah but i unfortunately uh we live in a world of cause and effect and i think that basically we have to deal with uh, the consequences of our own actions and that uh the fact is that, like it or not, uh, we have to accept responsibility for the world in which we find ourselves. And if you're going to change things, you have to begin by accepting responsibility for the way things are. And accepting responsibilities for the way things are is the first step towards starting to change things. Because as long as you refuse to accept responsibility, you're not changing things and you're not really having any, uh, of course, I'm not trying to say it's easy. 
as a matter of fact, uh, it's anything but easy. It's the hardest of the hard things that we have to do. And, uh, but I think that uh, there's no, there's no escaping the fact that uh, uh, we all in one way or another, I, I should add, because to, to add clarity to what I'm saying personally, you may not buy into this, not everybody does, but I believe in reincarnation. Mm -hmm. And I think that the same people who are here today were, many of them were here in the past. And I think that, uh, and, and set in motion the causes that now we're contending with. And that's, so there's, this is the idea of justice, of what mm. might be called cosmic justice. The idea that, uh, and that, we, that nobody gets away with anything. That's Everything basically, the, 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 the sound goes out, mm -hmm. the echo comes back. And we basically, uh, uh, and as long as we refuse to contend with the consequences of our actions, we keep going round and round. Yeah. And that's the round of death and the rebirth that we uh -huh. that that uh, we'd like to uh, escape from if we could. But uh, it's it's not something that uh, uh, heaven. I mean that. The score is being kept on some level, and we have to uh, uh, recognize that that's why strange, seemingly inexplicable things happen, is because we're suddenly coming face to face with effects from causes set in motion a long time ago. Yeah. You know, just prior to doing the interviewing you this morning, I, inter I did an interview on a uh, past life regression and reincarnation and he was talking about um like ancestral type of karma which would be you know from, from generations prior or or from lives that, that happened before and again all of those things it, it's such like a it's like the cycle like in buddhism they talk about like the cycle of samsara it's almost sure. like that like, but we're like so yeah. stuck. I mean, it's got to be a way out. Yeah. Well, there is, and that's the path of virtue. I mean, I hate to put it that way. It's like that the, I mean, I don't, uh, I mean, some people are very, look at this in a, in a, in a, in a very bleak kind of way as being inevitable, uh, for, you know, that we go around forever. And I think that's a matter of personal choice. I think a matter of the choice is, that you 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 basically confront uh, the challenges that you find yourself, and you maintain the uh, you follow the noble eightfold path uh, to use the Buddhist uh, idea, and you basically uh, accept uh, and you it ultimately leads to enlightenment and to liberation, uh, but your your friend or whoever you interviewed, I agree that. You know, if the the interactions between, uh, say, uh, the way things are passed from one generation to another is like one dimension 
of, of a process. And there are many dimensions to that process and many, many echoes and, and, uh, and sequences that are occurring at, uh, at, that resonate through the process. And, you know, Rupert Sheldrake, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, I've heard with, of them, uh, yeah. his, well, he talks about something called morphic resonance, which is the idea that, that he thinks that there's this resonating, uh, uh, force field that operates across time and space and through, uh, through species and individuals and so forth. But it, it's, uh, it's guided by a, a uh, the learning process that occurs in one place and in one spot is basically echoed across the species, across the, uh, across the, uh, uh, the race, if you will, or the, or the culture, uh, and through time where, uh, uh, advances are made in one place, and then the advances show up at another place where there is a similarity of some kind between the different uh, between the different uh, sources. And but <laughs> so it sounds like spooky distance theory almost. Well, it it, it is like uh, you could if you're referring to uh, quantum uh, yeah. uh, uh, quantum science and the idea that uh, uh, that is you know distance things do influence at a distance. I don't think. Frankly, I think it's the only people who would doubt that are diehard materialists who are committed to a particular uh, reductionist view of things that doesn't uh, that doesn't really consider the evidence. There's plenty of evidence that uh, things do act at a distance and be they spooky or not, <laughs> they are real. <laughs> it's the spookiness is just uh, only because. Uh, we have been taught to that such things are impossible, yeah. and therefore the the discovery that well maybe they're not impossible and they do happen is actually uh, can be very disturbing to people. It's disturbing because they've been programmed to reject it, and if you could get rid of the programming, the spookiness would go away too. Yeah, absolutely. Is that part of the reason why you wrote this book to kind of? Get rid of the spookiness, uh, you know, well, the, because because because, because Atlantis is like, like like the origin of human history. And you mentioned this at the beginning of the, the interviews. Like you think it's important that people know our true history, so we can kind of get past where we're at. It sounds like. And well, it, I, I, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I I, I can't deny that that's uh, that's a way of describing what. I was what I wanted to get across because I'm trying to say that there is this, um, there's this great, uh, force field out there. And that, uh, is, uh, that is the relic or remnant or artifact of another world, another time, another place, Atlantis, and that we're still living in this force field and we're still influenced by it, whether we know it or not, or whether we're conscious of it or not. And it is affecting what we do. And to the extent that we're kind of at war with it, we have trouble. 
and it puts us into um, and therefore awakening people to what's really going on seems to me to be uh, that's a that's a worthy goal. That's something that we ought to be doing. Of course, I've been at this, uh, you know, for it's been I've, for me, it's been a career thing. Uh, not I, I wasn't pursuing it, though, because I was thinking in career terms, but only because I was thinking in terms of, um, of uh, I was simply, it seemed to me to be the right thing to do. And it seemed to be that that was what people ought to be thinking about. And, uh, uh, and that if they could think about it in the right way, uh, it would uh, it would change them in a positive way. Uh, so Atlantis was a serious matter for me, not a uh, not just an entertainment uh, entertainment thing. So, what type of change would, are we try, are you trying to influence? Well, if you think of of like think of, of evil, like the kind of thing you saw in the Third Reich in Germany, for example. Yeah. It seems to me that that kind of thing could only go on in a world in which people were totally blocking out the the reality of of the consequences of what it was they were doing. If you're go, if you're going to if you're going to operate that way, then you have to be blinding yourself to to what it really means, or it seems to me that that, at least, it might not be the case for people who are com- completely committed to, the, to evil. <laughs> but a lot of people who are kind of around the edges are kind of getting seduced into the idea of uh, basically supporting things that are fundamentally evil because they haven't really recognized where that path leads and what it is that's ultimately going to happen. So if you can awaken people to to reality in this respect, then basically that's uh, you're doing something positive. You know, in the book, uh, we have a chapter where we talk about a, a concept which is familiar in a lot of spiritual teachings, which is called the idea of the dweller on the threshold. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you are familiar with that term or not. Yes. But... But it is the idea is that all of your um, collective uh, misdeeds and so forth are basically uh, operate as a as a collective identity that is there to oppose you if you attempt to change the pattern in any way because uh, its own survival depends upon your continuing to support it you're continuing to allow it to to draw energy from you tend to and therefore if you can uh you know get people to uh wake up to that threat uh then you can uh you can do them so good but you can also uh uh bring them to some uh into uh, a challenging situation, you know, something that is going to require all the, it's going to require some uh, commitment. (laughs) 
to be able to uh, to get there. But you know, you take you know we need a little victory here, a little victory there, a little gain a little ground here, a little ground there. Hopefully, it'll all add up collectively for the uh, for the planet and basically lead us into uh, a better place. So what do you think the evil is currently that we have to overcome? Well, I mean, there, there are many different ways of describing it. I mean, I think, frankly, if you look at, look at materialism itself and you look at it in, in uh, what it really represents on the deeper level, you're talking about a, uh, uh, an addiction uh, or a, because you're, if, if, if human beings are at their essence spiritual beings, which I believe they are, and the, uh, we hear a lot of talk about do we live in a simulation? And uh, I would say we live in a simulation though we're the creators of that simulation as much as anything. But the idea is that the human self that we, that we have is a product of, of these, uh, of this, of self-deception. It's a product of, of, um, being attached. And that's the word attached to things that have no meaning, no value, but we have the habit and we're, we're, uh, those, those forces are like, uh, ghosts, you know, that have their tentacles deep into our, into our beings and they draw and they drain us of energy. They drain us of, of, and they prevent us from being free. I'm back to this idea of the dweller on the threshold. And the, what we need to do is to banish those ghosts. Or to another way of putting it is to exorcise those demons, to free ourselves from these uh, patterns, which are uh, manifestations of evil. And, you know, you can say, well, what is evil? And one man's evil is another man's virtue. And maybe that's true in some respect. But the thing is, what I'm talking about are those things which destroy the soul, those things which, uh, which uh, uh, drain the soul of, uh, of, of its life, of its essence. Uh, you know, it's an archetype for that process is the kind of thing you got in the vampire stories. And I'm saying that a lot, there's a lot of that going on that people are not conscious of. And one of the reasons they're not conscious of it is because the consciousness of it is blocked. <laughs> People don't, to, to become aware of it, is very disturbing. It's very um, scary. It requires courage. And I, I'll be the first to concede, you know, it's not something that you can't accomplish this in one step. There are many, many, many steps. What it requires, though, is this kind of the heart needs to get engaged in the process. And it has to be and there has to be this recognition. that's not going to be an easy thing. And therefore, you know, it just has to be 
you just have to stick with it. And, uh, uh, and I, but I think that people will be able to, can do a better job of sticking with it if they have a sense of where it's going. I think one of the things, one of the reasons why people don't pursue this kind of uh, idea is because they've been so discouraged about it and they feel that it's not going to get anywhere and it's only going to be a matter of, of, uh, uh, you know, just uh, more of the more of the same uh, that, and therefore that there's no there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that uh, if we can do anything to kind of give them the sense that there is that in fact there is light at the end of the tunnel, then we can uh, then we can accomplish some things. Hmm. So you mentioned materialism being that so. Are we basically talking about greed? Well, we could be. The thing is, that's one aspect of it. And because, look, we all know that, that say, solidity, the, the solidness of things, is it's an illusion. Exist, yeah. it, it's an illusion. And that we're all basically, it's all empty space. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that is holding things together is basically... Um, a, a kind of a force field and that this force field is, uh, is, is more the reality. But the thing is that there are certain illusions that people can get into, can accept, you might say, they can dance to the music and basically they get the, the thrill of, of basically dancing in step with these uh, uh, darker forces without, and materialism itself, which is basically, uh, uh, I mean, in the crude level, is it's, it's basically just uh, choosing things over, over, over spirit. Yes. And uh, it, thinking that these things and, and, and agreeing to certain illusions, uh, accepting them as being reality. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the problem. And uh, so materialism can be many different things. But uh, the idea is that if if you think that if if you base your priorities on the idea that uh, materialism is real, then you're basically going to be, you're, you're deceiving yourself is the point. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100% on all of that. Absolutely. You know, because we're attaching ourselves to an illusion. Exactly. And we're, and the only force that illusion has is the force we give it. Right. Cause we're kind of like co-creators. That's right. Exactly. That's a, you know, I, some people say, well, that's a no-brainer. But the thing is, despite the fact that it's, we know it's so, people still do it. <laughs> You're tricked by it all the time. I they, certainly get tricked by it. Yeah. Well, people, you have to look, and that's when you have to look at the core of it psychologically. And you have to ask yourself, well, why is it? Why is it that we choose, that we make these kinds of choices? And... The choice is we make these kinds of choices because we 
there's something there we want. We want to believe. We want to believe it's a certain kind of thing. And so we're constantly deceiving ourselves and constantly leading ourselves into, into cul-de-sacs and, and all kinds of things where, where we experience real pain. And, um, and uh, we'd like to stop doing that. Yeah, yeah, definitely would like to uh, stop doing that because it sucks. You got it. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to even want to do it. <laughs> well, at the core level, you're absolutely right. And and people people build up these elaborate systems to justify these things which are essentially corrupt. That you know that are essentially to use the biblical expression, they're worshiping false gods. You know, they're 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 basically accepting something as real and they're doing so for the wrong reasons they're doing it because uh of a payoff they, they experience they're doing it because they're afraid they're afraid to uh to, to you know to face the the force behind this particular illusion and so forth but you know you keep if you don't confront it it just gets worse yeah and there's there's nothing to do painful as it is, but to confront it. It's true. It's true. It's an interesting way that you tie this spiritual message into the story of Atlantis. It is really cool. Well, I I I think that that's a kind of a. I mean, I believe that's a story that we have access to. That if people would think about it, you know, it can, uh, it could, uh, it could help. Uh, it would help if people could, could. I mean, it it means a lot if you read our book, and it's a it's a long book. It's like over 450 pages, and we talk about all of the various things that we've talked about here, uh, and we talk about, uh, uh, and it's it's based on real. Most of it is very scientific based on studies and, and research that people have done to validate uh, almost everything that we're saying, uh, because it's not just airy-fairy, uh, you know, uh, new age nonsense. It's very concrete and, and, uh, and real. And if people would uh, give it a shot, I think that they would uh, they would see that, and uh, it's not we're not taking sides with any particular uh, uh, school of thought or any particular certainly not any kind of a sectarian agenda in any way. These things are all kind of uh, I think they're they're very clear and are, have been very very well established. Uh, we spent a lot of time over the years, you know, in Atlantis Rising, basically tracking down all of this research. And so we're basically kind, trying to kind of uh, assemble it in, in one place. And uh, frankly, I think that uh, if you're awake, you know, it's going to, uh, it'll have a, and you read it, it's going to have a profound effect on you. Hmm. I'm going to have to see if I can... Uh... Hustle a free copy of your book from Inner <laughs> Traditions. Yeah, we'll talk to yeah. 
talk to the folks over there. They can probably help you out. Well, thank you for since you're, a, since you're in the media. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being on. Before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you and find your book? Well, uh, our, the books are available wherever books are sold, and uh, there, uh, which is most places. Inner uh, Traditions is a big publisher; it's a division of Simon and Schuster, and and so forth. And uh, so. Uh, it's and you can get it from Amazon. You can get it online, most all of the online booksellers. And you can track us on our website, AtlantisRising.com. And uh, we have a new uh, uh, YouTube channel that's just been up for a few weeks now, uh, where you can get uh, videos that we're putting together, basically of various uh, articles that we have done uh, on uh, on the subject. And uh, I think that. Uh, makes it's uh it's pretty entertaining and uh so that's that's basically where i would direct people excellent well, what i'll do is i will uh post um the links to your website and to your book and to your youtube channel in the notes to this episode so my listeners can find you all right be much appreciated oh, absolutely thank you a lot for being on this was really a fantastic interview i enjoyed talking to you a lot well, thanks very much. Happy to uh, to uh, be uh, part of your show there, Gary. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime. Um, just hang on for one moment, and I just have to play the outro, and we'll wrap it up. Okay. Remember, everything that it says was first imagined.